Blog Talk Radio.
all you movie fans out there. This is Betty Jo Tucker welcoming you to Movie Attic Headquarters. I'm extra excited about today's show, folks, because we're doing something completely different and very dear to my heart. That's why we began with Dave Barnes singing, All I Want for Christmas is You. Now, we call today's show Two Christmases. It co-stars George and Lizette Bettinger, who will be reading the parts of Harry and Elizabeth Lawrence in a taped version of Chapter One from It Had to Be Us, an award-winning romantic memoir my husband and I wrote under those pen names. Chapter One deals with two special Christmases that started Harry and Elizabeth on the road to reconciliation after being estranged and divorced for almost 20 years. 20, count them. It's written in a he-remembers-she-remembers format. But I should mention that particular format is being changed by a very creative filmmaker. His name is Misha Zubrev. During his movie adaptation, which I'm delighted to be involved in right now. And I'm also very grateful to George and Lizette for taking part in today's special episode. George is an actor, comedian, producer, writer, and director. He's won acclaim for his uncanny impressions, including my favorites, Groucho Marx, George Burns, and the Three Stooges. Lizette is a versatile actress and soprano with experience at the Metropolitan Opera. You know, the Bettingers are a fun couple. They've got a passion for bringing back the golden era of radio on their mom-and-pop shop show, which airs on Dreamstream Radio. They're truly Mr. and Mrs. Showbiz to me. But I think it's important to point out that George and Lizette will be uh, showing you more of their dramatic than comic talents on today's tape because they're reading what I call the bittersweet section of our book, uh, the part uh, before all the fun begins in Las Vegas. And, of course, they're totally believable. The tape runs around 18 minutes, followed by an oldie but goodie and very appropriate song performed by the great Tony Babino. After the tape, I'm hoping that publisher Denise Casino will join us to talk more about the book. So sit back, relax, and listen to It Had to Be Us, Chapter 1, as Harry and Elizabeth share what they remember about two special Christmases way back in the 1990s. Elizabeth will be there. Almost 19 years since we parted. 
the two years of our courtship and the 24 years of our marriage are still so vivid in memories. The love and passion we shared for most of those years will always be with me. Her dreams were my dreams because I loved her so. When the dreams began to fade at the end of our marriage, for reasons I could not or would not understand, we parted. I loved her so and wished for somebody better than me. When she did find someone else, I fell into a deep depression. I told our children never to tell me anything about her, and they respected my wishes. At our daughter's house, Elizabeth doesn't look well. She tells me she is working 12 to 14 hours a day and has advanced in her academic career. I feel some satisfaction in having helped her obtain an education that qualifies for this kind of success. Still, I show my frustration by replying sarcastically, so what's new? I see she is taken back by my remark because of the remainder of one of her problems. I wish I hadn't said that. I never want to hurt her again. Oh, sure, she is concerned about the family. Her words do not seem true to me. Obviously, her career and persona are still most important things in her life. On my way home, I can't stop thinking of her and the way we were. The pain of seeing her again is devastating. Elizabeth remembers. Claire told me she asked her dad to come over on Christmas morning. She wondered if I would mind, since I planned to stay all night at her house on Christmas Eve. I said, no, not at all. But the same old anxiety came over me anyway. What would Harry think of me after all these years? What would we talk about? Would I get a hug? But not necessarily in that order. I got up at the ridiculous hour of 4 a.m. to dress and put on makeup so I wouldn't look so bad when he arrived. He showed up around 8.30 in the morning. Hi, how are you, he asked, followed by, what are you doing now? I explained I was working long hours each day at my new job as a college vice president, to which he replied, oh, just like you always did. That hurt, but it gave me something to think about. While I was alone in the kitchen for a short time before he left, Harry came into the room and said, Never forget, Elizabeth, you're a survivor. Because he seemed so caring and dear at the moment, I knew he regretted his earlier harsh comment. I just had to hug him, and that one embrace warmed my heart as nothing had for 19 long years. I couldn't help remembering our good times together. I thought about how much I loved being close to him, and about the tears I shed when he left me. During one of our last conversations before we parted, I remember telling him I thought we would never hug again. I would die. To be honest with myself, I couldn't figure the bad times either. I recall the night I admitted myself to an alcoholism treatment facility. Ironically, it was on St. Patrick's Day, not exactly the day I usually celebrated one of my favorite holidays. Harry had gone to the dog races. I refused to participate in... He refused to participate in the program with me, claiming he couldn't get in touch with his feelings. This devastated me. I knew he was codependent and needed help, too. 
It also reinforced my low opinion of myself because of my drinking, weight gain, and what I thought was the loss of Harry's love. I felt so alone. After the divorce, I was vulnerable and married again too, too quickly, and on the rebound. I know now this was not fair because I still had such strong feelings for Harry. However, my excessive guilt motivated me to try to make the best of a bad situation. I went into a kind of a trance-like existence in which I was easily manipulated. I repressed so much in order to survive. March 1994, Harry remembers. I hear from Elizabeth in March in a card expressing sympathy about the death of my mother who passed away in February. Because it's signed regards Elizabeth, I feel hurt by such coldness. My love for this woman has destroyed all my relationships with others these many years, so I harbor a deep resentment that she can go on as if nothing had happened in the years we were together. Oh well, I have a good life. I play golf with my friends every day, watch television every night, and have all the money I need. No problem. Christmas Day, 1994. Elizabeth remembers. Again this year, my daughter told me she had invited her dad over for Christmas morning, and this time I really look forward to seeing him. But he didn't arrive until close to noon. Did he think I would have gone by then? When he came in, we were all playing Scrabble. He looked so good to me, but I was very worried about the scars on my face from a recent skin cancer surgery and how I would look to him. Later, he offered to take me back to my sister Bridget's house since our daughter was busy with Christmas obligations. While driving to my sister's, Harry told me he still thought I was the greatest person and that he felt that I had been a good part of his life. He even touched my hand at one point. This surprised and delighted me. He said he hoped I had no animosity toward him for the past because of he had suffered from his tunnel vision. When we arrived at my sister's place, he was just going to let me go in alone, but I said, you wouldn't let an opportunity like this go by, would you? We could cause quite a scene here. He agreed immediately, which proved his great sense of humor was still intact. We went inside together, much to the astonishment of everyone. I will be grateful forever to my brother-in-law for asking Harry a question I was not brave enough to ask. Are you still playing the dogs? Greyhounds. Harry answered, only a couple of times a year when Dottie and Will, my sister and brother-in-law, come to visit. That answer was the best Christmas present I could have ever received. It meant one of our major problems from the past was no longer there. It was a Merry Christmas indeed. Harry remembers. I must go to my daughter's home for Christmas, and Elizabeth will be there again. It will be easier to see her this time. I have hardened myself against my feelings for her. I have been so foolish these many years, thinking, hoping she might still care for me. She's a widow now, 
Could there be something between us again? No way, I tell myself, but uh, no problem. She looks better than last year. It seems she has retired and writes movie reviews. I hope she is happy in taking care of herself. I also can't help wondering if she possesses someone new. No, I don't want to know. When she needs a ride to her sister's, though hesitant, I volunteer. I feel the need to say a few things to her in private. Driving along with Elizabeth, I experience tender feelings for her as well as a hard need to get back to her. I just want you to know how much I admired your accomplishments when we were married, I tell her. She turns her head and smiles sweetly, so I continue. I remember how we used to love going to the movies together. You must really enjoy writing reviews. I want her to realize that at least I haven't forgotten her past. When we arrive at Bridget's house, we decide to pretend we are back together again in order to observe the shocked reactions of her sister and brother-in-law. It seems to work, and I feel a closeness with her again. However, while driving home, I reflect that she's given me no recognition of the good times we shared in the past. The end of December 1994, Elizabeth remembers. The next day I wrote Harry a note thanking him for driving me to my sister's and for the nice things he said about me. I also explained that I had no animosity toward him, only good feelings. I suggested that we go to dinner or a movie before I left for California. If he was interested, I indicated he would call me at our daughter's or at my sister's. A couple of days later, he phoned me, and we made arrangements to meet on New Year's Day. When Bridget asked me, what's all this with Harry? I answered, I really don't know. But I did realize it was impossible to hide my excitement and nervousness about our date. Harry remembers. I receive a letter from Elizabeth a couple of days after Christmas. She thanked me for taking her to her sister's for the nice things I said to her. It was signed, Fondly Elizabeth. I decide to call her about dinner and movie suggestion, knowing I can come up with some excuse later. But then I think that Fondly, hmm, she signed her, her note. Oh, what the hell. I'll go. New Year's Day, 1995. Harry remembers. On New Year's Day, we go to dinner in a small Italian restaurant. She looks so beautiful across from me. I think to myself, this will be our last meeting. She will go back to Los Angeles and marry someone else. Again, I will not have to see her anymore. Maybe if she did remarry, my love for her would finally die. However, the thought of her being with someone else again is unbearable. We discuss our two children and how loving they are with our grandchildren. We agree the hectic environment that they were raised in has not affected them severely. Elizabeth reveals to me a considerable tax problem that she can't resolve. At first, I find it hard to understand how a person with a salary like hers get, get, can get into such trouble with taxes. Then I remember how she used to borrow secretly from loan companies to pay tuition for students who couldn't afford to college. Still, up to her old tricks, probably. When we order dinner, I find out that she is now a vegetarian and ask crudely, are you in some kind of a California cult? I get an explanation, but I don't understand. 
she says something about not eating anything once had a face, (laughs) and then talks about various allergic reactions to all things. After dinner, we go to a movie. The comedy Dumb and Dumber seems appropriate for our situation. I want to hold her hand. This was something we always did during a movie, but I can't make the move. It would be like a promise I couldn't keep, and worse still, it might be rejected. Hearing Elizabeth's laughter in the movie makes me feel so good. After the movie, I want to take her someplace where we could lie down and just hold her for a while. Of course, I could not ask for that. That night, she tells me plans to leave on Friday. Her sister will be taking her to La Junta to catch the train back to Los Angeles. I think about asking her to let me take her down the night before so she can avoid the long drive on her departure day. Of course, my plan is to spend the night with her. However, I always love that aura of innocence in her personality that manifests itself in her trust of people, so I cannot ask her for what I believe would be a one-night stand. No problem. After all, my life is just fine now. I play golf every day with my friends, watch television, and have all the money I need. Elizabeth remembers. After treating the family to a New Year's brunch at the Holiday Inn, I went back to Bridget's house to rest and to get ready for dinner and a movie with Harry. It was hard to think of anything else the entire day. Even though I needed a nap desperately, I had stayed up all night at my daughter's to celebrate New Year's Eve. I couldn't sleep. Our dinner was delicious, but Harry seemed a bit upset over my vegetarianism and allergies. The movie, Dumb and Dumber, left a lot to be desired, but it was such fun to laugh again. I was disappointed when Harry didn't hold my hand during the movie, but afterwards, he was very solicitous to my footing in the snow and took my arm several times to steady me. It felt good. On the way back to my sister's, I suggested he might like to visit me in California sometime. I said he could sleep upstairs in my condo, and I would sleep on the couch downstairs. He shocked me with, I don't think I like those sleeping arrangements. I was speechless. Then he said, well, I suppose all the romance is over anyway. I composed myself a little and replied, it's never too late for romance. When I got to the door, I parodied a line from the movie we had just seen and teased, well, how about a big hug? He gave me one and made my day. January 3rd, 1995, Elizabeth remembers. To my deep disappointment, I hadn't heard from Harry since our date on New Year's Day. I decided to call him. I thanked him for the dinner, and I said I had a great time. He admitted that he did too, and asked me if I was going back to Los Angeles. I reminded him that my sister was driving me to La Junta on Friday. I then re-extended my invitation to him to visit, but I felt I was being much too aggressive. I was surprised when he seemed to like the idea. He said he had to finish his carport and some paperwork regarding his mother's estate. Then he would let me know when he could make the trip. I tried not to appear too excited to get my hopes up because I didn't want to be hurt again. 
still, I couldn't help thinking of Harry all the rest of the time when I was in Colorado. When Bridget asked me if Harry had a girlfriend, I answered, I don't know. She said, why don't you ask him? I replied, because it's none of my business. But I really wanted to know myself. January 1995, Harry remembers. I receive a letter from Elizabeth thanking me for the dinner and the movie and inviting me out to Los Angeles again. She said I could attend some press screenings with her. The letter was signed, Love, Elizabeth. I interpret the love as a generic form of the word, but I call her anyway. I lie and I say I would love to come out, but I have a lot of responsibilities for the Senior Golf League and can't set a date at this time. In no way would it be possible for me to be in the same house she shared with someone else in the past. Knowing I would not go out there, I decided to tease her. I asked what what are the living arrangements would be like. She says she would sleep downstairs and I could sleep upstairs. What, no romance, I exclaim? She tells me anything is possible or something like that. I now have a problem. She has done what perfect timing. 
Hi, Denise. Thanks for calling in. I'm glad to call in, Daddy Joe. Were you doubting me? Well, I was looking over there, you know, and the, I thought, oh, gosh, maybe she had trouble trouble getting through to the switchboard, but I'm so glad to hear your, your voice and happy that you had time. Uh, I know how busy you are with all of your uh, work, your book launches and your uh, site creation, and uh, you're doing all those things uh, that I like to see old wizardly one do, which is what I call <laughs> you. <laughs> So uh, what what would you like to share with us today uh, about the book? I, I had such fun working with uh, with uh, George and Lizette Bettinger in reading that first uh, chapter of of the book. Uh, how did how do you think that went? I thought that was beautiful. I'm so excited that you have this screenplay and that this is coming together in such a fun way for you. Oh, I I am too. I um, actually this whole year has been devoted to working with Misha Zubrev on the screenplay, and it's something new for me. I've I've never done that before, and I just uh, am enjoying it. But it it is a lot of a lot of work. Uh, you did so much work with uh, it had to be us, Denise, and I want to thank you for that. The the publication of the book, uh, the extended Kindle edition, and then the book launch that you did, which actually uh, helped us get to number one the first uh, the first day of the launch in one of the categories. And uh, yes, that was you're the number one best-selling author with this book. Well, and it's all all due to your uh, magical ways <laughs> with, with the book Well, launches. I think it may be due to all those wonderful things you put into the Kindle edition that weren't in the original print. Well, that's, we did want to make the um, – this was a little novelette originally, and uh, so uh, uh, we wanted to add more to it. And so um, tell – uh, tell uh, about uh, the uh, extras that you had me put into the Kindle edition. Well, I think what made it so much fun was you 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 do write such great movie reviews, and of course that's what you're known for. But it was fun to read your reviews of the romantic movies that you and or Elizabeth and Harry shared, and also the recipes were wonderful. Vegetarian recipes, which. <laughs> And I, I just appreciate your all the help that you've you've given me with uh, with the book, and uh, my husband does too. Uh, I have to admit that uh, Larry or Harry, whichever we want to call him, does not is not a vegetarian. <laughs> so he, he's very patient with me, and uh, the recipes that are in the book can also be you know you just add me add meat to them and uh, they're non-vegetarian but uh, i was excited about putting in the uh, the recipes like uh, and then we made them relate to movies uh thumbs up spaghetti and spaghetti technicolor and rice technicolor. surprise and and those kind of things and uh i'm i'm so pleased too that we were able to 
um, donate our author's royalties to the Imagination Library, which is um, it's a children's literacy project that uh, is sponsored by Dolly Parton's Dollywood Foundation. So when people uh, buy this book, they they know that some of their money is going to a very a very worthy cause. Now, let me ask you this, Denise. What if someone wants to order the book but doesn't have a Kindle? No problem. There is an app that you can download to a PC. Any, um, any Apple products, you can download an app. So it's very easy. It's just a couple of clicks, and you've got an application that will let you read books on your computer or your phone or your any device. So they make that very simple. I'm glad that they do. It's, it's an easy app to do- download, and you know how, how challenged I am with anything uh, technological, and even I could do it. Uh, but I want to make sure that our yeah, and you're working with the with a non-tech person here, and you're you were very patient with me too. But um, give out information about where um, any of our listeners who are writing books or have written books and and want to get your services for a book launch, where where would they go to find well, you? Well, bestsellerservices.com is my main website. And I do, you know, I help people get a number one bestseller on Amazon, but I also work with people on social media platforms and optimizing their sales page on Amazon. So there's a a few ways I can help people, and it doesn't have to always be with the point of getting a bestseller. Yes, and and you really... uh your your work is is just special. I just feel so lucky that you've been working with me on uh, on my on my two books and and uh, I never dreamed that uh, we would ha- we would be uh, best selling and go to number one on the Kindle Amazon Kindle bestseller category. And you know, I think this book the last time I. I checked was still number eleven in one of the in one of the categories, uh, one of the memoir categories, uh, maybe the regional, but it, but it's holding up. So you are yeah, and you know why is the optimizing of Amazon search engine is what gets your book highly ranked and keeps it there, and it's kind of a proprietary that I've developed. Yes, and you've done a great. Uh, great job on that. So I urge listeners who have books to promote to contact you, and I'm so glad you so called glad in. Do you, you want to stay for want... the rest of the show, or, or do you have I to I can't. I have a 4 o'clock appointment I need to get ready for, but I so appreciate you inviting me, and I love your book, and I'm excited for all your fun possibilities. Thanks so much, uh, Denise, and uh, keep up your good work, and bye for now. Okay, bye, Betty Joe. Oh, that was so great <laughs> that Denise had time to call in. And I'm glad she mentioned those uh, uh, film reviews uh, that uh, we've included in It Had to Be Us. So in keeping with our Christmas theme, uh, this seems like a good place to read one of those reviews that, that from the Kindle edition. I've chosen Love Actually because that's one, one of my top favorite Christmas movies. And um, so here's... Here's that review. Romance, laughter, and tears blend seamlessly in Love Actually, a fast-paced movie about agony and 
ecstasy of love as experienced by several characters during the five weeks before Christmas. And just look at this star-studded cast. Hugh Grant, Colin Firth, Emma Thompson, Liam Neeson, Laura Linney, Kara Knightley, Alan Rickman, and Bill Nye. You know, folks, I've never been a fan of movies focusing on numerous characters, but I quickly became infatuated with Love Actually and actually fell in love with more than one of its characters. Fickle of me, I know, but still. How could anyone resist Hugh Grant as an unmarried British prime minister who, after meeting a delightful and appealing new staff member, dances down the stairs when he thinks no one is watching? Or Colin Firth, playing a writer enamored of his Portuguese housekeeper and struggling valiantly to communicate with her? Or Alan Rickman, as a boss trying not to cheat on his intelligent, charming wife of many years, played by the great Emma Thompson? Or Liam Neeson, portraying a recent widower involved in his nine-year-old stepson's plan to win the girl of his dreams, or, well, you see what I mean. At the screening I attended, other members of the audience seemed to feel the same way I did. It's the first time I've heard people go, ah, out loud over a movie kiss. That happened when first finally finally kissed his lovely housekeeper, and with the exception of a horror film, I've never heard viewers shout out, no, don't do that, but it occurred here when a character stopped making love to answer the phone. Although everyone in this wonderful Thompson stands out with her roller coaster performance, in one scene she changes in the blink of an eye from crying lots of tears to expressing enthusiasm for a family outing. Very impressive. And yet I laughed the most at Bill Nye's antics as a faded and cynical rock star making a comeback with a ridiculous Christmas version of Love is All Around. I think love actually reminds us that love is all around, especially during the Christmas season. You're listening to Movie Attic Headquarters with your host, Betty Jo Tucker. She's the real deal in what's happening on film. And if you're not real careful, you might hear the confessions of a movie addict. So get your popcorn and stay right there in your seat for Movie Addict Headquarters. And now back to our feature. Hi, comedian Nancy Lombardo here, host of Comedy Concepts Blog Talk Radio. And when I need my movie fix, you'll know where I'll be found. That's right, every Tuesday at 4 p.m., listening to Betty Jo Tucker on Movie Attic Headquarters Blog Talk Radio. Show me the funny, Betty, show me the funny! (laughs) Thanks to Steve and Nancy for those... (laughs) <laughs> those promos. I'm glad Steve mentioned Confessions of a Movie Addict because that book of mine would also make a fun gift for movie fans on your holiday shopping list. It's available on Amazon.com as a paperback and in the Kindle store as an ebook. Plus, Nancy's comments about Show Me the Money are very important because my author's royalties for that book are donated to the Film Foundation. That's an organization founded by Martin Scorsese to help with film preservation. Now, Steve hosts the Steve Mendoza Show on DreamStream Radio, and Nancy is the hilarious host of Comedy Concepts, which airs right here Monday and Friday mornings on Blog Talk Radio at 10.30 Eastern 
time. And I'm sorry to say, it looks like our time is almost up, and uh, I feel like I'm going to be giving, you know, those credits, end credits that roll at the end of the film. There's so many people to acknowledge. I want to thank George and Lizette Bettinger for sharing their talents with us today. Please, listeners, check out their wonderful mom-and-pop shop show on DreamStream Radio. It airs Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and is filled to the brim with entertaining interviews, colorful characters, and great music. You'll love it. I'd also like to give another big shout-out to Denise for her terrific work in connection with the uh, Kindle edition of It Had to Be Us. And special thanks to Diana Sanger and Lori Williams for believing in this book and publishing earlier versions, as well as to filmmaker Misha Zubarev for his extraordinary dedication to this project, to Danny Dyer and Richard B. Smart for their technical magic, to our producer extraordinaire, Nikki Starr, for doing so much to make hosting Movie Addict Headquarters such fun, and to the folks at Blog Talk Radio for their support, especially for featuring this episode as a staff pick. We really appreciate it. Special thanks also to all our listeners for tuning in. We hope everyone enjoyed the show. Please come next time when our guests will be special effects wizards Chuck Skull and Dragon Drovnet. They both have impressive backgrounds in the field of movie special effects. I can hardly wait to talk with them. In the meantime, don't you forget to check out our film reviews at realtalkreviews.com. That's R-E-E-L, realtalkreviews.com. That's all for now, folks. So here's the legendary Judy Garland to close the show with a lovely Christmas wish that we would like to send out to all our Blog Talk Radio listeners. your heart be light. Next year all our troubles will be out of sight. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Make the Will be 